Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Mark. So, Shani. <laughs> we've been doing a little challenge for you to try um, Aussie classics. This was imposed upon me. Yes. Don't I mean... don't act like I <laughs> I, I am reluctantly participating. Okay. Um, but you had wheat bix yesterday for the first time. I did. Are you not going to explain what this challenge? You're just well, going to yeah. Give sorry, me all it's, these it's yeah. I'm going to give you Australian classics, and you're going to rate them out of ten and see if you try it again. Yes. Um. Or incorporate it into your my lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if anyone has any suggestions on what Mark should try, I mean, he's tried all the normal stuff. You've had Tim Tams, Passion Pop, Passion Pop. <laughs> you know, just the normal stuff. Yeah. Um. So any UDL. suggestions? Would be good. You've had a UDL. You told me to. Yeah, that's very teenage Western suburbs of you. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I had a wheat bix. It was fine. And it, you said you gave it a six out of ten. Yes. There was a lot of discussion about the wheat bix while it was like disintegrating in the milk. <laughs> so I think maybe if I was more proactive in eating, eating it, it, it would be better. You did say you would. You could probably do four because I think the quantity of wheat bix is very important. Well, I said that I could do four on like a daily basis, but if mm-hmm. this was some sort of competition, I can do a lot more than four. Yeah. And the toppings were also a huge consideration. So I have mine with strawberry jam. Yes. And somebody stole most of Shawnee's strawberry jam. I was very upset. At the office. <laughs> yeah. So she's now hidden it in the office fridge. Yeah. And I know where it is. So if, if the jam thief bakes. is yeah. listening, <laughs> let me know and I'll tell you where to find it now. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do Milo next, but that seems like an easy lift, right? Mm, Yeah. But if you haven't, there's also like a lot of considerations with Milo, like hot or cold. That's probably about it. Okay. (laughs) Not so much a lot as one consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I want that frozen Milo thing that I bought you once. A scoop shake. Yeah. The one that you said reminds you of your childhood. So I got you one. Yeah. I mean, I used to have them in my childhood because we'd stop at like a gas station it's called a petrol station yeah. in Australia, Shani. <laughs> it's being accommodating to you. Um, and we would, um, on road trips, and we'd choose the ice cream. And I thought it was like the best value. Like it would last the longest. Well, there you have it. Value so, for money. Yeah. <laughs> should, we, should we do this episode? Yeah, we yeah. should. Because today's exciting because we're going to tell a ghost story, Shani. And I think we're really like pushing the boundaries on this podcast, Mark. Like, should we ask people to listen to this podcast sitting around a campfire or <laughs> I mean if they want like yeah. the two of us hate camping yeah so we would not do that so I think people should feel free to listen to this wherever they would like okay well I'm uncomfortable with the notion of telling a ghost story on our podcast so what should we do well we're going to do it anyway Shawnee so you have to participate in this because if not it's just like 30 minutes of Kermit <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Okay, well, we are going to tell the ghost story of Paul Volcker, who is currently haunting markets. And before we can learn about how he's haunting markets, we should know a little bit about who he is. So why don't you start us off with who he is, Shani? All right, so Paul Volcker was an American economist who was a Federal Reserve chairman and served between 1979 and 1987. And Paul Volcker is widely credited with finally bringing about the end of inflation. And to do that, he drove the U.S. economy into a deep and painful recession, 
But before we get into that, we need to go back well before 1979 when he became chairman of the Fed and look at the inflationary environment in the 70s. Well, in the US and around the world, there was a surge of inflation in the 1970s. Over the entire decade, the average inflation rate was 6.8%, which is double the long-run historical average and triple the rate of the previous two decades. But even this average inflation number hides the true extent of the inflation crisis. Yep. So in the early 70s, there was an economic boom and a corresponding share market boom, which we've talked about previously with the Nifty 50 market. But there were several underlying issues in the economy that were building up. But most importantly, there was the shock of the Arab oil embargo in 1973. So that lasted for five months and crude oil quadrupled in price and stayed at that level until the Iranian revolution in 1979 when it jumped again. And this oil shock obviously was an initial driver of inflation, but there were macroeconomic components to it as well. So in the late 60s and early 70s, the US government was running a huge budget deficit. This was to fund LBJ's Great Society agenda and the Vietnam War. This massive budget deficit was combined with accommodative monetary policy, meaning low interest rates, and then increased government spending leading up to Nixon's re-election in 1972. Okay, just so I have this straight, there was a surging share market. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of government debt and yeah. spending. <laughs> there were increases in commodity prices, and there were low interest rates. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's kind of like reading the paper today, yeah. right? But anyway, there are lots of other things going on as well, including the wage and price controls and Nixon ending the gold standard. In many ways, it was just a turbulent error that represented the end of the post-World War II economic environment, which had a foundation in the Bretton Woods Agreement. But the point of today is not to do a historic review of where inflation came from. The point is to get to what had to be done to end it. So inflation started going up in 1973 and then surged in 1974 to over 11%. And the US economy fell into a recession in late 1973, with unemployment rates starting to go up. The Fed responded to the rise in inflation by starting to increase interest rates. But this, of course, made the recession even worse and unemployment went up to over 9% in early 1975. And this is where it starts to get interesting. So there were some initial signs that inflation was moderating, and there was a ton of political pressure on the Fed from Nixon to stop interest rate increases because of the economic fallout. It's almost like Nixon would do anything to get elected. Yeah. I mean, that's strange. Another strange thing going on, right? (laughs) Learning a lot on this podcast. Yeah. So inflation did moderate, even with interest rates starting to get cut in 1975, It fell from an annualised reading of 12.34% in December 1974 to 4.86% in December of 1976. But then it started to go up again, and by the time Volcker became Fed chair in August of 79, it was back up to 11.82%, and by the summer of 1980, it reached just under 14.5%. And many people, including Nixon, when he was putting pressure on the Federal Reserve in the early to mid-70s, thought there was a trade-off between high inflation and low unemployment. But as inflation persisted, that turned out not to be the case. So when inflation reached 14.5% in the early 1980s, the unemployment rate was 7.5%. And this was stagflation, which occurs when you have high inflation, low economic growth, and high unemployment. So it's a pretty, pretty terrible situation. It is. It is. So Volcker takes over a Federal Reserve that had moderately raised interest rates, to try and stop the second surge of inflation from a level that was still considered unacceptably high, but it just wasn't working. So he called a surprise meeting in October 1979 and basically said he was throwing out the Fed's old playbook for how they dealt with inflation. 
In October, interest rates were at 13.7%. By April of 1980, they were at 17.6%. And that is obviously a really big increase in a short amount of time. But they didn't stop there. By 1981, they were over 20%. These interest rate rises slowed economic activity and actually put the US into two recessions in the early 80s. The first one in January of 1980 saw unemployment tick up to close to 8%, and the second one in 1982 saw an unemployment rate of 10.8%. But this worked. So inflation went down to 3.4% by the time Volcker left office in 1987. And that ushered in a great era of investing when interest rates stayed relatively moderate and inflation stayed low. This, of course, was punctuated by the period after the GFC when interest rates stayed very low, tons of liquidity was pumped into the system, and we didn't get a whiff of inflation. And the share market, well, it exploded higher, with returns on the S&P 500, including dividends, averaging an annualized 17.6% between the GFC low in March of 2009 and the end of 2021. And that's just a shocking number. That brings us to today and the ghost of Paul Volcker. We are again confronted by inflation driven by tons of fiscal and monetary stimulus. Again, we had central bankers asleep at the wheel as inflation got out of control and they failed to recognise that a lot of the structural changes to the economy and geopolitics during COVID dramatically changed the environment we'd all gotten used to. Only time will tell if this is another inflection point like the mid-70s. And investors clearly don't want this to be an inflection point. And of course, why would they, given those returns since the GFC? But you can't always get what you want, Shawnee. And the ghost of Paul Volcker may not be hanging over everyday investors, but you can bet that he's hanging over central bankers around the world. And Jerome Powell, who sits in Paul Volcker's seat as the chairman of the Federal Reserve, spoke on Friday, August 26th. And over the past few months, markets have been up as investors envision a short-lived period of interest rate increases and then a pause before cutting again to rescue a moderately slowed economy. But Jerome Powell seemingly was having none of it. He said that now is not the time to slow interest rate increases and emphasise that price stability was a bedrock of the economy. He said that the Fed would forcefully attack inflation and that some pain would be inflicted on households and businesses. And the future is, of course, unknowable, but Jerome Powell was clearly no stranger to the inflation struggle during the 70s. So he was in uni during the flare-up of inflation in 1974 and living and working in New York City in the early 80s. And his counterparts around the world are of a similar generation. So Philip Lowe was hired into his first job at the RBA in 1980 when inflation was 10.14% in Australia. And the Australian experience with inflation was pretty similar and in some ways worse. During that initial surge of inflation around 1974, the inflation rate actually went up to 17.5%. And in Australia, inflation was tamed like in the US. At the end of the 1980s, inflation in Australia had averaged 9% over two decades. A dollar in 1970 had the purchasing power of 17 cents by 1990. And many policymakers are haunted by the mistakes made during the last period of inflation, and they respect the man who actually ended it. Just like how Munich and the policy of appeasement influenced a generation of foreign policy, I think we're going to be living in the shadow of Volcker during this fight against inflation. So let's go through some of the lessons that investors can take from this. So the first lesson is that a nightmare scenario for many central bankers is what happened in the 1970s. Lingering inflation, slow growth and high unemployment. This fear probably equals the fear of deflation that played out during the GFC, where record amounts of liquidity were pumped into the system. 
And there is a saying that generals are always fighting the last war. So I think we all need to be prepared for the consequences of central bankers who continue to aggressively raise interest rates until inflation is truly buried. That may be longer and higher than many people expect, and that may inflict economic pain. Economies, after all, are large and complex, and they don't turn on a dime. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager. Integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight, Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. So be prepared for interest rates to go higher than you expect. There seems to be this notion that in Australia, the RBA can't raise interest rates above 3% or so because people can't afford it. Be very careful with that assumption. The lesson from the 70s and the late 80s is that in order to truly tame stubborn inflation, you need to inflict economic pain. And that is a very language that is being used by central bankers. That means that economic pain may be inflicted on you through higher mortgage payments and less discretionary spending. For some recent home buyers, that may mean selling houses at a loss because they can't afford them. That doesn't mean that this is the likely scenario, but it is a plausible scenario. Understand what the scenario would do to your finances. Also, as an investor, understand what the scenario would mean for markets. In the short term, it would probably be ugly. And we have seen four straight days. We're recording this on the 1st of September, Thursday, the 1st of September. Since that speech by Powell, we've seen four straight days of fairly sizable losses in markets. So understand in the short term, yeah, this could get ugly. But in an era of higher interest rates, that means that what has been working since the GFC may not work going forward. And in a lower return environment where valuation levels don't get the hit from falling interest rates, it might be back to basics for investors. In this environment, it's important to focus on the little things, minimizing fees and taxes, dividends and financially stable companies with appropriate debt levels and moats that will allow them to pass on higher costs. And this is where we can look at the environment between 1974 and 1982. During that inflationary time, the S&P 500 returned a price perspective 2.5% a year. Not great. But if you counted dividends and reinvested them, the return was 7.4%. That means that more than 65% of total returns came from dividends. In the post-GFC period until the end of 2021, the dividend contribution to total returns was 13%. And just remember that as investors, we have to consider all the possible outcomes and get ourselves into a position where giant mistakes don't doom our long-term prospects of hitting our goals. We're all going to make mistakes investing. We just need to ensure that we don't make the big ones that are fatal to the future we envision. So putting all your faith in a return to the post-GFC environment, where the way to make money was simply to take on more risk, investing in speculative securities might just be one of those mistakes, as would reacting to a market fall by moving all the cash. 
Just remember that if this is an inflection point, it would represent an incredibly difficult environment to navigate as an investor. We hope that we can provide you with a little bit of guidance to make whatever is happening next a little easier. Okay, great. Well, thank you guys very much for listening to A Ghost Story. That wasn't as bad as you thought, right, Johnny? <laughs> that was pretty good. Not scary. I mean, a little scary, to a be little honest. Scary. Yeah. yeah, a little scary, <laughs> but still, good ghost story. Um, anyway, thank you guys for listening. We would love to see you at our conference. Send me an email. My email is in the episode notes, and I'll give you a discounted ticket to the conference. And come join us October 13th in Sydney at the ICC, or watch from the comfort of your own home as we're going to stream the whole thing. And of course, we'd always love questions and comments and ratings in your podcast app. So thank you very much. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.